0: Hello, heroes, and welcome to Session Zero, a podcast exploring role-playing from a psychological perspective. I'm Porter Green, your host. And I'm Steve Discont, your other host. And today, we're going to be talking about group dynamics. Groups are kind of like the thing that we really need to have a role-playing game. I mean, most role-playing games that we think of traditionally are in a large group format. There are also ones that you play by yourself or in a dyad, and we're going to have episodes on that in the future. But today we're really thinking about that traditional role-playing group. So, like, you know, the team you see on Twitch on Critical Role or on, you know, any of these fun afternoons that we spend playing with our friends.
1: Or, like, if you listen to any other of the actual play shows on this network, like Indeed. One Shot Campaign, and Neoscum, and Welcome to Warda. Woo
0: plugs. I love it. So yeah, so group dynamics is a really dry sounding word. But what it really means is that when humans get together, and they start to try and do stuff together, they behave in predictable ways. And they interact in ways that we've kind of done a lot of research on over the course of the universe of psychology. Some of the things that we know about groups is that they tend to have situations where they all come together and start to think more and more alike. And sometimes there are groups where they get really, really conflicted really easily, and they fight and storm and have all kinds of interesting and complicated interactions. One of the cool things that groups can do is a thing called scaffolding. Scaffolding is a concept invented by a psychologist named Vygotsky. And what it means is that you can actually learn social skills from being part of a group that's slightly better at the thing than you are. A lot of the time you see this with kids. When you have kids on the playground and one kid is struggling to learn how to, you know, stand in line or wait their turn or follow rules or like make good jokes that are socially okay and that aren't offensive or embarrassing. Being around friends that are good at those things allow the kid to sort of practice and observe and get better. It's also the same sort of thing that when you move into a training group or a new organization, you can use the people around you to learn how to follow the customs or how to excel or fit in in the environment. Gaming groups can also do this, too, because gaming lets you play around in your inner world and also share that world with a bunch of people. You can do things like practice navigating social anxiety right there with all of your friends because your gaming character is a super good public speaker. And you have that roll of the dice to back up all those times when you're afraid to say anything. It's kind of cool, actually, the power that scaffolding can have to make your actual functioning outside of the game Better
1: Now, Porter, is. can you think of an example about how you've used scaffolding or you, how you've benefited from it in, in a game that you've played in?
0: Sure. Um, one of the things that I really struggle with is sort of speaking off the cuff and being, you know, doing negotiations or being witty or doing back and forth small talk type conversations. And role playing kind of gave me a chance to practice doing that without there being any real worry about embarrassment or shame out in the outside world. And one of the cool things is when you walk into a situation and you're like, okay, I got to convince this bad guy to give me 20,000 new yen and a password. Right. And then I roll like, 45 successes. Okay, that's a big number even for Shadowrun, I realize, but I'm being hyperbolic. I mean, it is about that number of dice. Yeah, it usually is. So, like, okay, so like eight or 10 successes, let's say. I know that whatever I say at that table, it doesn't matter. I mean, if I said, like, uh, 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 I don't know, um, to me, it still works. Right. And that's a really cool and empowering moment to know that whatever I say, it's not going to be wrong. How about you, Steve?
1: Gosh. Um, I think. A way that I've been able to use scaffolding in a game was learning how to think strategically Mm. in some games, because there are a lot of times, especially if you're playing a game where there might be a heist scenario, you have to break into somewhere or get past guards, you actively have to think about, okay, what is the scenario, what is the scene in front of me? How do I think critically? What are all the factors that we know and that we have at hand? And how do I use that knowledge to try and figure out a step of operations to get or reach my goals? Mm. So there have been times where I have, I would say have thought more critically and used critical thinking skills at a much greater amount than I would have in my daily life. Mm. Because I'm sitting there and I'm dedicated to this goal in character, which means I'm also dedicated out of character. And so I've actively sat there and it's encouraged me. I'd, I'd say that skill that I've acquired from that was while working with the group going, okay, what information can you provide me? All right, how about you, uh, Player C, what can you tell me that we can use to address the situation? Okay, here's, here's what I'm thinking we can do based on everything we have. Uh, player D, what do you think? Have, is there a flaw to this situation? So being able to think critically and even encourage working with other people in doing such types of planning Mm-hmm. And collaborating is very important.
0: Yeah. And yeah, that actually reminded me of something else really cool about this is that if you take the context off of everything you just said, what you're talking about is running a team meeting, mm-hmm. right? So you're using the same skills that you use in other contexts, but you have this beautiful structure behind you. So you don't have to worry about doing it wrong or failing or what the outcomes are going to be in the same way. You have somebody else giving you suggestions, even if that somebody else is like a player's handbook. You know
1: or a dm house rule certainly and those skills are really relevant in any type of position of leadership too Mm -hmm. um when working with teams things like cooperative and collaborative strategy work conflict resolution all these type of things those are extremely important when you're on any professional or a non-professional team even on a sports team working with someone else if you have a coach or you have the team captain who's trying to make sure that everyone can use their skills appropriately that critical thinking is very important and i think kind of bringing it back, you can use gaming, especially in the context of a gaming group, as a way to learn and scaffold those skills.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Absolutely. And also it teaches you how to slow things down. Like one of the things you were saying I think is really cool about group dynamics and about gaming in particular is that because you're working as a team, you're taking these steps of thinking through critically that you might have to do on the fly very quickly in real life. And because you're using dice rolls and gaming dynamics, you're slowing them way down. Mm-hmm. So you have the chance to sort of look at and decide between options very slowly, which means that you get a better sort of connection to an understanding of your decision making process. And then when you have to do it fast in a real life situation, you're just better at it. And that's kind of scaffolding in a nutshell. You know, gaming is a really good example of how that particular psychological process works. The other thing about groups would be kind of how to build healthy ones, I think. I'm sure we've all been in groups that don't run very well, like the, the classical group of the class project Right. Where there's always one person that seems like they're doing all the work and a couple of people that are never paying attention. And group dynamics in games can be the same way. Like a lot of the time you can have one player that's always getting phone calls or some people that always seem to be bickering or disagreeing or slowing down the game because they can't ever just pay attention. All kinds of different interactions that can take place and lead to different cultures and norms. And, you know, I think that's really important when we think about when you're
1: forming groups because, you know, you know, as you just said, you know, depending on how you build a healthy group is kind of determined by what everyone at the table expects.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's a major important of group structure. That's a very important aspect of the group dynamic is determining what are those informal rules that you're expecting of the group that either people have said at the table, you know, we kind of expect that this is what's appropriate at the table or what has been indirectly communicated through nonverbal communication, whether it be if someone is taking, is constantly texting at the table and everyone else at the table quietly turns their head and looks at them without saying a word and just waits until they're done. (laughs) That's never happened at our table.
0: I mean, okay, but most of us are psychologists, so.
1: Yeah,
0: fair. (laughs) A lot of the time what happens is no one says anything at all.
1: True. That's also another aspect of norms, though, because... (laughs) That might be a behavioral norm that we expect like, well, if there's something we're unhappy about, we shouldn't say something because that might be something that starts conflict mm-hmm. as opposed to if you early on establish or especially if someone at the table is considered in a position of leadership at the table, such as possibly the game master, mm-hmm. they can start off establishing like, hey, someone's constantly texting go, hey, is it very important right now? Because I'd prefer the phone, your phone not be out at the table right now because it's kind of distracting all of us. If someone models that behavior for the group, it can translate to the rest of them like, oh, the norm is, A, we shouldn't have that at the table, and B, we can politely request someone to not do these things that are distracting at the table.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this sort of ties into one of those concepts we talk about a lot in queer world, which is the whole idea of safety. Right. Because the norms of a group are part of how you establish what's safe to communicate in the group, how safe it is to be vulnerable in the group and how safe it is to be, you know, truly yourself and sort of let go of outside societal expectations in a group. And as like a queer gamer and somebody who's navigating these worlds from a perspective of constantly having to, you know, sort of follow straight world norms, it can be really relaxing and part of the joy of the hobby to walk into a group where I know that everybody knows what queer is and everybody knows what gender queer is and I'm not going to be expected to explain myself or fit into a box that somebody else is putting on me in the same way. Mm -hmm. So that's a big piece of group dynamic forming is creating norms that make your players and your DM feel safe and secure to be vulnerable because gaming can be super vulnerable. It can be super risky to try on these parts of self and to say real things in that emotional inner world. So
1: when we're talking about what is a safe group or a healthy group, though, is there a particular size that determines that, in your opinion?
0: I think it absolutely can, because if you get too many people in that space, there's no way of really having a small group process. Like When we think about therapy groups and clinical groups, we're usually looking at between three and eight people as being a good size, um, with five being ideal. Because when you get above eight, you have too many voices and there isn't enough time or space for everybody to take part. And you start to have subgroups forming within your larger group.
1: Certainly. Now, so when we look at LARPs, there are some LARPs that are created to intentionally be small groups, to be a session of anywhere from five to ten players. Mm -hmm. But there are LARPs out there that you can expect that is a scenario that's created, a one-shot scenario for a convention that might have been created to have 30, 40 players.
0: The thing with something like that is that you're dealing with, I mean, if I was going to make another therapy comparison, it would be more like a milieu therapy where you have a lot of people that are interacting and there needs to be a sort of ratio of people that are navigating the interaction and people who are leading the interaction. So you're creating an interacting series of small groups that form and break up based on the scene. Um, And that's why you need a a good DM ratio, the same way if you were in like a day program in a psych situation, you would want to have the right number of staff so that all the people there are feeling like they're being listened to and that they're, how there's someone there to manage problems when they come up. It's actually not dissimilar.
1: Mm-hmm. Or we could even say in a work setting, you know, mm-hmm. having enough managers for particular teams right. rather than one manager being responsible for a team of over 20, 30 people.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine one manager being able to troubleshoot 20 or 30 people in a high stress work environment. That sounds like the manager would never have a break and the staff would be constantly having to pound the manager to get attention. Mm -hmm. And that's what you don't want. You don't want your players when you're gaming to feel like they're being left out or that they're never really getting to be center stage or that their needs as a gamer aren't being met because then you get people on their phone or on their computer or that don't show up or the group starts to, you know, get side talk and side chatter.
1: So in talking about building a healthy group, I think it's important that we also consider how groups form themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a researcher by the name of Tuckman who really looked at the stages of group development. I think it's important that we just kind of touch on those for a second because Mm -hmm. it might give people an idea about what they can expect when they're forming their own gaming groups. So according to Tuckman, there were five major group stages of uh, stages of group development. And these are known as forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjoining. If you like your rhyming and you like your rhyme schemes, it's great for that. So the first one is kind of straightforward. It's forming. It's when the group initially meets together, learns about what they are intending to do as a group, and kind of initially starts establishing, here's why we've come together. In this case, it's why we've come together as a game. It could have been organized by people going, hey, we just really want to play this game, versus a GM saying, I've brought y'all dick here together because I really want to run this session of mutants and masterminds. Mm -hmm. And during this stage, I think it's important that that is a the moment of this, of the group development where people start to first start to introduce themselves, get to know each other, and start to start to feel out the norms. Mm-hmm. Um, the second stage of which was storming. This is when the group really starts to start to feel itself out and sort itself out, and as well as start to gain each other's trust.
0: I always think of those two as the moment when you're first making small talk mm-hmm. in a group situation, and everybody's on their best behavior, versus when they start to relax into it a little bit.
1: I agree. You know, and that's also when people start voicing their opinions. Mm -hmm. And that can also lead to when conflict starts to happen. As people start to realize, A, we all have different opinions. And B, our opinions don't always agree with those of others. And so we might see people vying for perceived power or perceived status within the group. Whether they perceive that their role should be the person who takes notes for the game. Or I'm going to be playing this role in the game and I deserve to play it. And that type of conflict can happen, especially if people have different concepts they want to bring to the table.
0: It reminds me of actually a time that we had a player who we ended up having to have leave the game because they were playing a face character and they were so upset whenever anyone else did any negotiation or talking outside of like, you know, their quote unquote role that it just became a big, big problem.
1: Gosh, I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also that that's a time where if someone is in a position of perceived power in the group, such as. Um, the GM, or maybe someone who brought the group together, if you're the one friend that ties everyone together, that might be a time where you can speak up and try and encourage either resolving that conflict. Now, this can be a little harder for a one shot or if you're at a convention game, you tend to skip a lot of the group development stages when you're at a convention because you're there for three, maybe four hours, and then you just get to bounce.
0: Yeah, but people are still on their best behavior in that first stage. So you tend to have less of the personality, hopefully, less con- personality conflicts because people don't know the rules yet. Sure. So the next stage,
1: the third stage is norming. And this is usually when disagreements get resolved, and that's when we start to build up those expectations of norms. Mm-hmm. whats What here is the expected behavior? If the GM does a certain behavior, oh, we're not going to throw a fit, we might accept the rules. Or if we have a rules, we have a rules challenge, we're not going to yell at them we, as a group, decide bring it up either after the game or when the scene hits a lull, when the moment of role play hits a lull, so we can actually discuss that. The fourth one is performing, and that's typically in a gaming group. That is, I mean, gaming group or in groups in general. Performing is when people are taking on the roles that are expected of them. The group members are focused on achieving common goals, and this is usually where success, where the the aim of success is that everyone is doing their part. Now, I'd say. In a gaming group, we could say that performing really is almost literally what we're expecting. It's it's role-playing. You're at the table to take the roles that you are wanting to take, that everyone's kind of agreed on, and moving the story forward.
0: I always think of it as that moment in a game where everybody knows their roles. So you're moving through an interaction, and people can just roll and say what happens, and there's the mechanic starts to fall to the back. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. It's kind of in when we get to that idea of immersion. Mm -hmm. Like people can be immersed in their characters. And whether or not you're a type of gamer who immersion, you are the type to immerse or not, you still might be involved in the process. You know, at the times of combat, here's where I'm expected to step forward and swing my gigantic axe. Mm -hmm. Whereas other times it's the acknowledgement of, oh, these are the strategic mental challenges. And we know that Brian over there has said that this is, what I want to do and want to handle these. And everyone's kind of agreed. So in those moments, that's when that player steps forward.
0: Mm -hmm. It's also like the part where you get the best lines, I think, like the best callback stories. Usually when when we're in the performing stage and things are running smoothly, the interactions are sort of working to lift up. Mm -hmm.
1: And then the last stage worth acknowledging is what's known as adjourning. So this was also, again, Tuckman's work. And this is the idea of when a group has completed its intended tasks and it breaks up as a team Mm -hmm. now not all groups end just like that it's like okay we've had the amazing session now guess what off to our own places we're done done for good but sometimes groups do end whether Mm -hmm. it's some players have to leave the game scheduling conflicts happen things like that and so that's just a. even though we're talking about groups forming here it's important to acknowledge that there is a stage to the actual group dynamic of what happens when a group starts to separate?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When it starts to break apart?
0: Yeah, and humans, as a general rule, are terrible at goodbyes and at endings. Like I don't know about your experience, Steve. Have you? How many games have you actually had come to an ending? I mean, my experience is that most of them sort of like fade away due to do scheduling, or people sort of ghost it, and it just falls apart. <laughs> I would say I've
1: had very few games properly end. The ones that properly ended. Thankfully, well, I'm not sure if thankfully is the right word, but it was, they were both campaign style LARPs. So mm-hmm. they were LARPs that were playing, I played the same character over two and a half years. And after a certain period of attrition of players and of the, the people running the game wanting to bow out, they proactively went, made the all right, everyone who's still playing, just so you know, we are now in the last story arc. So we will be ending. So there was an active communication process letting people know here's the point when everything is going to end. And then we'll process it afterwards. But you know that this is coming rather than a, well, it just fizzled into the ether.
0: Mm-hmm. And that actually brings me sort of to like what I was kind of thinking of would be our next topic in this podcast, which would be on this day of the podcast, which would be um, how to use all this group stuff we've been talking about to make your game better. Mm. Because you know, what your your group did in that moment of stating that there's going to be an ending and when to expect that ending is actually a thing we do in therapy all the time. Because when you're setting the bounds of a therapeutic relationship or any relationship or experience, it's really good to know when it's going to be over. So you have some time to think about, well, what do I need to feel like it's done? What do I need to feel comfortable with and closure with the experience? What are some other
1: ways that you think the group dynamics can be brought together together? To make a game feel better or to run better.
0: I think part of it is, is being intentional. Like when you were talking about the different stages and the idea of scaffolding, like not being afraid to bring in somebody who's never gamed before and to sort of help them learn the game as a group and being really open about and kind about that learning process. Also stating your norms, like making your norms part of your session zero. That's something that we do in all of our games, in part because our gaming group is very trans and very queer. So we start with, you know, what are some blacklist topics? What are things Mm. that are too vulnerable for you guys to play with? And one of our 100% always things is animal death. We can't do animal torture, animal death, ever, 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 ever. Even though we sometimes deal with, like, Terrifying sociopolitical things because my wife loves terrifying socio-political games, but um, <laughs> I mean, Steve, you know she does. You were oh yeah
1: yes, In- but, intergalactic intergalactic like multi-universe intergalactic story that possibly involves whole planets taking over other planets. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm, yeah, that kind of thing. But kill a kitten and everybody at the table has to go home, so we don't have any kind <laughs> of animal death. That's one of like the hardline things. So having that conversation. Checking in on what kind of world the players want to play in. Like, do you guys want to do a lot of fighting? Do you want to have emotional scenes? Do you feel comfortable sharing about things that make you vulnerable?
1: Well, I think that's going to touch on another topic that we're gonna. I know that we're planning on talking about in the the near future, which is safety at the table. Mm -hmm. But in that sense of the setting of the norming, of norming, you know, I'm right now running a werewolf, the Forsaken game. And I have some really amazing, lovely players who some of them might be listening to this. So Mm -hmm. I promise y'all, I will not give you a lot of spoilers. But I will say that we, the first thing we did was have the norm discussion. We discussed what is okay, what is not okay. What are we comfortable having at the table? What do we not want to have there? What themes do we want to deal with? Especially because right now with what we're dealing with current political everything, uh, one of the players is like, I'd rather not deal with Nazis. And I'm like, mm, yeah, no, I completely understand. And they're like, I mean, Indiana Jones Nazis, where we just get rid of them, that's great. But I don't want to, like, talk to them.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. no, I am all with you. Mm-hmm. And setting those norms of those expectations are very important.
0: And it's not always just content, too, because we're, we're used to thinking about what we want to play. But it's also, like, the the actual real-world expectations. Like, are we all going to buy dinner are we going to cook? Mm-hmm. How long are our sessions going to last on average? Do we have jobs or requirements that we be done at certain times? And who's going to be mindful of that? What do we feel about technology at the table? Because now there's so many cool products that enhance your gaming experience, but a lot of them are in laptops. And laptops can be really challenging when you're sitting in still for four hours, right? Because we all have all those million other things we end up doing when our laptops open.
1: Certainly. And distractors are easy. When you're not actively on in the scene, you might feel the need, well, I can stop right now and check my email real fast or, oh, I need to check this message I got on Facebook Messenger. But yeah, that question comes up, is technology allowed at the table? And it's up to your table to decide what's appropriate or not. But there are times where it could be a major thing. Mm -hmm. I know that you and I had at a table once where that became such a big issue where your wife turned off the Wi-Fi before game started Mm -hmm. so that people couldn't use it.
0: Yeah, interestingly, that I think part of the issue with that particular game was also that the group was too large. Mm. You go back to an earlier thing. Because on a a night where folks were out, we had eight people. And a night where folks were all there, we had almost, I think, ten to eleven people. Cause there was nine. That's too many.
1: Yeah. So we had yeah, there were nine people at the table. So having yeah, it was a lot of things.
0: Yeah. So so yeah, having nine people at the table was too many people. For especially for that style of game. And when we had multiple people with laptops out, it became sort of like a a constant aside, you know? Like there was mm-hmm. constantly asides going on. People were looking at other things. They were messaging each other. I think somebody did a meeting once whilst in the middle of the game. You know, just things like that. So it ended up being very... I think
1: that may have been me, that <laughs> Like I had to do that.
0: Well, I, I know, but it's just yeah. an example of what can happen when things get too big. Mm-hmm. And part of that's the personalities... Part of that's the the DM and the way that the group norms are.
1: Well, I think we've covered a lot of area on groups. And Mm -hmm. I think we have definitely some material that we want to, I think we should definitely talk about in the future. Definitely safety uh, at the table. I think maybe we could, if we decide to later, explore a little bit more about norms Mm -hmm. and establishing norms at the table. Definitely. By the meantime, I I think our our session's time is up. So I think it's time for us to wrap. So in that case,
0: we'll see you in the next session. If you've been enjoying Session 0 and other podcasts on our network and you value independent creators being able to support themselves and continue to create content for you, consider supporting our network on Patreon at patreon.com/onesatpodcast.
1: Your contributions to the One Shot Network helps us to pay for the studio that we record in, the content that we use to represent our work, the hosting of the podcast on the magic internet, and all the spicy water we consume. Becoming a contributor to the One Shot Network Patreon grants you access to bonus content in the network's secret archive, such as some of our personal gaming stories and possibly some of your favorite network characters on our pretend therapy couch.
0: There are also other perks like the Gift and Book Club, the T shirt club, and many more. Please consider contributing today. Looking for other one shot shows to enjoy? Check out Total Party Kill. Total Party Kill is a weekly live Twitch stream where John Patrick Cohen, Eddie Klinker, and James Dugan play through Cephala Games' Gloomhaven. Join them in the stream to play along through the action and interact with a constantly changing cast of characters and special guests, or watch them after the fact on the One Shot YouTube channel
1: heroes we would love to hear from you and hear your ideas about our show you can find us on twitter at session zero pod or you can email us at session zero at one shot
0: the song you hear right now is hakari by i love brandon off his album earth and sky if you would like to hear more of his work visit eyelovebrandon.com or find him on spotify soundcloud twitter or wherever else you like to find your chill beats to listen to podcasts too
1: Remember, heroes, Session Zero is for sharing information, not for therapy. If you feel like you need support, check out Psychology Today's Find a Therapist database. If you're experiencing a crisis, head into the emergency room or text CONNECT to 741-741 from anywhere in the United States. Be safe out there, and we'll see you
0: in the next session.